Well, praise the Lord, everyone. This is Pastor Sharon and Pastor Lester Hayes, and we're coming to you tonight, uh, Thursday night, for our wisdom call uh, and our prayer line. So, you know, at the end, if you have a prayer request, we'll be more than happy to take it and pray for it. But we're going to have, uh, we're going to go over some word first, have some teaching tonight. And I just want to thank you for joining in with us because uh, truly it has been such a glorious day in the Lord. I tell you, God is so good to all of us. We're all here. We're healthy. We are just wealthy in Christ. We got a, a account laid up in heaven and we got some ching-ching in it today. I tell you, we... We increased our account today, and so I thank God for that. Um, tonight, I want to talk to you a little bit about a subject that we started, uh, Pastor Lester and I, a couple of weeks ago, uh, being a new creature in Christ, being born again. We began talking about that. Uh, I came to you from... Um, talking about that the church is not an organization, but it's a living organism. Some of you might remember, some of you not. I'll just review a little bit and uh, just take it as fresh manner. And uh, we talked a little bit about, you know, how so many times we get in the church, we get in the building, we get so used to one another and it's just coming, it's like coming together with our friends and just coming together, enjoying one another, but we don't want to leave the lost out. We don't want to forget about the reason that we are there, and we definitely don't want to forget about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we try to keep in the forefront the Word of God and pay more attention to the Word of God and what Jesus have taught us versus our religious ways. And so here tonight, I want to talk to you about being that new creature in Christ. Uh, a couple of the scriptures I went over before, uh, let's talk about the first one, which was in the book of Luke. The first chapter, verse number 35. Again, that's the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 35. And here's where I began talking about Mary. Uh, let me just set this up a little bit here. This is when Mary was told by the angel of God that she had conceived. And uh, Mary was kind of, mm, I won't say really confound. She was a little puzzled because she said herself, I have been with no man. So Mary didn't really understand how she had conceived a child. But then in this verse, and the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And the power <coughs> of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And so here we see where in the book of Luke, the angel is talking to Mary and, and telling Mary what's going to happen. And if you read on in there, it'll tell you uh, in one of the Gospels how Mary hid these things in her heart after he talked to her, you know. She didn't argue with him. She didn't laugh at him. She didn't tell him it's not going to be so. She tucked it away in her heart somewhere very special and that's what we have to do when god give us a word we've got to tuck it away we've got to know that that word is true and that if god said it that word will come to fruition that word is true but i love this scripture because you can go through each one of the books in the gospel and just see the perspective that the person writing it had on the situation. In this book, we see the angel talking directly to Mary. 
in the book of let's see which one was it the book of mark they start with talking about john the baptist in the book of john it talks about the word was with god and the word became flesh and so we see here and also in the book of matthew it gives an account of the angel telling joseph what's going on so that's in the book of matthew the first chapter verse 20. so the the angel is explaining to joseph that even though you have not been with this woman yet she is going she's pregnant she's with child but she has not been with another man don't put her away and joseph listen thank god for that but when you look at the account in luke and I only bring this up because I just want to share with you that there are other accounts. They're not really different or contradictory. They're just from a different perspective. It's what the Holy Ghost showed that person to write. Because what good was it to read all four Gospels and their word for word? We could have just had one Gospel if that was the case. But when you look in Luke, it says, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. Here we're talking about, this is why I say that we are a new organism. Because never before had a woman been impregnated by spirit. This, this is brand new. This has never happened before and haven't happened since. And he goes on to tell her that the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest. In other words, the power of God, who is the highest, shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now, I like the way it said. It said that holy thing. Isn't that something that... The angel didn't even know what to call him. He said that holy thing. The angel have never seen this before. And so here, he, he put a little twist on what he's saying by saying also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the son of God. Here it's referring to his deity. That his father was not a human. His father was not a man. His father was the true and the living God. Yes, yes, yes. And so here we see that we are new creatures. Here we see with Jesus, he is the first of this new creature. He is the very first. If we understand and we look back in the word, and I'm going to do this quickly, we see that even before now, Jesus, before he came to earth, he was in heaven with God. He was with his father, a place of glory and honor and power. And he broke himself away from that to come down. You read in Psalms when he said, told God to give me a body. I'll go. When God said he needed someone to go and say amen, Jesus said, give me a body. I'll go. He volunteered to do this. Look at here. Jesus loves us so much that he volunteered to come give his life for ours. So a second set of scriptures I'd like to look at is in the book of John, the 12th chapter. I did write down uh, verses 23 through 27, but I think I'm really, I really will go with verse 23 and 24. And so here we see in this scripture, the, this set of scriptures, we see that God here, Jesus He's answering them. He's answering a question that was posed to him. And it, it, it's amazing how you see people kind of work things out. They have this hierarchy where it goes from one person to the next. And they decide, you know, pretty much what they're going to say. And, and it, really, it starts in verse 20. 
talking about how the Son of Man is to be glorified. And it starts saying, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. Now, again, we're in the book of John, the 12th chapter, and that was verse 20 I just read. The same came, starting at verse 21, the same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethesda of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. So they're asking if they can see Jesus. And Philip coming and telleth Andrew, and again, Andrew and Philip go together and tell Jesus. Verse 23. So they t after they tell Jesus it, the Bible said, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, here, before we see him, they're saying he will be called the Son of God. But now here, they're saying, the word is telling us that he's to be called, this will be called, thou is come that the son of man should be glorified. This is Jesus talking about himself. He often referred to himself as son of man. And in saying this, he was pointing out his humanity. He wasn't really talking more about the deity part of him. He's talking about his humanity. And he said he should be glorified. Now, really, knowing what's getting ready to go on, because we've studied this, and we know that really he's talking about his death is coming, that he will uh, uh, be murdered. But, and you would think he would say, uh, we could expect Jesus to say the son of man should be crucified, but he responds with glorify. In other words, he's seeing beyond the cross for the glory that will follow after the cross, because he know that Giving his life like that, being glory, he is going to glorify the Father. And then in turn, the Father will glorify him. So here, you know, it, it, it kind of seemed to me when I thought about that, I said, wow, he's actually saying glorified instead of crucified. Because that's really what he's getting ready uh, to be crucified. But Jesus always, and I tell you, I, I really want to take a note out of his book because here we see, instead of him looking at something being so terrible, he's looking at what's good in it. Uh, Jesus, he's speaking of his death as a glorification rather than a tragedy. And, you know, sometimes when I think about the way he died, I don't always see it as a glorification, but I got to see it like Jesus see it. I sometimes look at it and I say, oh, my, my Savior, look what they did to him. But Jesus is looking at it as a type of glorification, the fact that he's going on and doing what no other no one can do <laughs> no man can do what jesus did he sees his death as a glorification rather than a tragedy and see this is one of the things uh the paradox of, of christianity discipleship uh, and, and as we read on in 24 we're gonna see what Jesus says, um, in other words, the way to be fruitful, listen to this, in the kingdom of God involves suffering and death. And we're going to see that it took for him to be fruitful, to bring others with him. Hey, hey, to go where no man has ever gone before. We never would have gotten into that door. We never would have got up to the porch. We never would have gotten in the yard if it wasn't for Jesus. 
So we see him, how he's doing whatever it takes to get us there. Even though we don't deserve it, even though we did nothing, nothing to deserve having this wonderful relationship with God, Jesus is doing everything it takes to get us there. And I thank my Lord and my Savior for that. He goes on in verse 24, and he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn or wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. Oh, that is so awesome. When you think about what he's saying, you see, here we go again. He, he, he's saying that the way for fruitfulness in the kingdom of God involves suffering and death. You got to die. You can't keep living any kind of way we want to live and think we're going to be multiplied. That's not what God's trying to multiply. Even, even in when he gave Adam and Eve instruction, he said to produce after their own kind, godly folk. Not hell raisers. Not people that'll do anything for any reason. To anybody? No, 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 no. He's talking about producing after your own kind when they came out of God. So God is looking for people to be produced as like, that's like him. And so here we see, even in this scripture, it says that it's letting us know the way to multiply, to, the way to be fruitful is to die to oneself. Just as this corn of wheat did, it had to fall into the ground and die. If it didn't, it was going to abide alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. And if we want to be fruitful, we got to die to this flesh. We got to die to self. We must. And so here we see how, how Jesus is just pulling it together. He's teaching them. He's letting them know that, that you we got to die to some things. We have to. So here we see, even when you look at verse 23, the central message here is the glory of God. Like I said before, when Jesus said the hour is come, the Son of Man, we think he'd say he should be he will be crucified. But Jesus saw beyond the cross to the glory that would follow. And then the glory of God is an important theme in, in this entire chapter. When you read over it and you look at it. Now here, notice Jesus used the image of of a seed to illustrate the great a great spiritual truth that there can be no glory without suffering oh come on no fruitfulness in our lives without death no victory without surrender come on Jesus is showing us from his action his example because you see we we've, we've talked about this many times pastor in his last teaching he talked about they didn't take jesus life he laid it down nobody went in there and just took over and did what they wanted to to jesus not our lord and savior jesus allowed these things to happen now Understand the seed. Of itself, a seed is weak and it's useless. But when it is planted, it dies. So you know when you go into uh, the different stores, gardening stores, and you see the seed over there in the little packages. If you leave them on the shelf in the little package, it's just a seed sitting over there on the shelf. See them every year want to plant every year don't do it that much but it just 
seeing them now. I used to buy them, never get to plant them. I got all these pots outside on my patio with flowers and different herbs, some mint, some parsley, some oregano. Very few things I get to plant. But if I leave my seed that I buy in the package, nothing ever happens. It just sits there in the package. But when I plant it, mm, 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 it dies and become fruitful. Even now, you know, I, I love to cook some lamb chops and I love to cook them with a little uh, rosemary. And I've got some rosemary plants out there and whenever I want to cook my little lamb chops, I go right out my door and I clip off the top of my rosemary plant, wash them real good, chop them up and season my rosemary. Why? Because I planted it. I didn't leave it in the little pouch, in the little bag on the shelf. It's been planted in the dirt. Because as long as I left it in that pouch of itself, the seed was weak and it was useless. But when I planted it, it died and became fruitful. There's both beauty and bounty when a seed dies. Come on. There can be beauty in death. There can be life in death when we do it God's way. When we die to self, God's way. I'm not talking about starving yourself to death, trying to lose a few pounds. I'm talking about when we put this flesh in check and we begin to let the flesh know that our spirit man is in charge and it's got to die. I was reading something uh, the other day as I thought about, you know, uh, Seeds, and I thought about a project Pastor did once when he wrote a paper at school about if he was a peanut. And I began to think about, well, you know, if I was a seed, and I looked up some things and I found this, and it talked about if a seed could talk, it would no doubt complain about being put into the cold, dark earth. But the only way it can achieve its goal is by being planted. It has to go in the earth to, to achieve its goal. We look back in the Bible when we see God, even some of the scriptures in the New Testament, the Old Testament, it talks about seed for food and seed for planting. You got to keep that seed bed. You gotta keep it because it has to go in the ground and it has to be able to produce and be fruitful. Now God's children are like seeds. They're all small, yes we are, and we are insignificant on our own. But our, if we give our life to God, it takes on great significance. However, we can never fulfill it unless we yield ourselves to God and permit him to plant us. We must die to self so that we may live unto God. You read the book of Romans, the sixth chapter. It talks a lot about dying to the flesh, dying to sin, and allowing God to have his way in our life. You know, we have to be careful. And you read the book in the book of Galatians, the second chapter and the 20th verse. Listen what it says. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ooh, I can go on because of his love. You see, it was a time in our lives where we almost knew we was worthless. Didn't nobody have to tell us if we weren't doing things right. 
We know right from wrong, and we know when we're not doing right, but God loved us in spite of any wrong that we did. God still loved us. And so now that I know he loves me, now that I have faith in that, I believe it. It's by this faith in the Son of God, the fact that he loved me and gave himself for me. I know I can go on. I know with his help, I can be something great. I know with his help, you can be something great. You are something great in Christ Jesus. And this is where we have to understand that we have to die before we can live. You know, it is so important that we willingly give our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, I don't want to abide alone. I don't want to just be a seed in a little packet. I want to read verse 24 again. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. I refuse to abide alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Jesus is saying that the way to fruitfulness in the kingdom of God is suffering and death, just as the way to life is through the cross. He went through that cross. He did it just for us. Oh, yes, he did. Yes, he did. And now that Jesus have done that for me, now that he has accomplished what he set out to do, now I can truly and honestly say that I am a new creature in Christ. Oh, glory to God in the book of 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter in the 17th verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Not just some things in my life are new. All things have become new. Because I am a new creature in Christ. Because you are a new creature in Christ. Because we are new creatures in Christ. That we have become new. So I thank the Lord, I thank him for allowing us to, to know where we stand with him, that we are new creatures. And even if we suffer on this earth, it, it, it's just a little mild affliction according to the glory that's yet to come. It can't even compare to what's yet to come. And so... I like to go to one other set of scriptures and talk about them just a little bit. I'm building my case. I'm building my case that we are different now that Christ is in our lives. We are, when you look at this word, uh, creature, oh, yes, Lord. It's amazing. Creature, creation, because we are creations of, we are a creation of his when we looked at, look at it, it talks about when you look in the Greek term, terminology, it's, it's actually G2932 in the Strong's Concordance. If any of you are not familiar with it, you really need to get a Strong's Concordance and uh, go to someone who knows how to use one so you can look these words up. So the word they use here, it means to make. It means to fabricate, to form. In other words, you, God took us and made something new out of us. We were like raw material. And he made the raw material. It's like when a seamstress, some seamstress, they might go buy a pattern, some have it in their head, and they put it on paper, and they take that fabric, and they make something out of it. It's to fabricate, to make, to create. And so here, we see now that we are new creatures in Christ. 
old things, all that stuff we used to do, what we used to chase after, what we used to, what we thought we had to have, just couldn't do without. No longer are those things the most important things in our lives anymore. But now we are new creatures. And so here, when you go over to the book of 1 Peter, the second chapter, it starts out talking to Christians, telling them to lay aside their evil works, see. Lay that stuff aside. He starts off in verse 1. Wherefore, lay aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and evil envies and all evil speaking. And then number 2, he says, As a newborn babe, desire the sensible milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. I don't care what your age is. Once we give our life to the Lord, I remember when I truly gave my life to the Lord at the age of 28 years old. Now, I've been in church before then, but I wasn't a new creature. I just used to go sit up in the church because that was the thing to do. We were raised that way. But one day, I actually listened to what the preacher was saying. One day, I actually gave God my attention and became a new creature. And now I'm 20 year, 28 years old, and I'm sitting up in there like a new baby, receiving this word. See, I, I could only take enough milk. Couldn't start me off on meat. But I desired the milk. I, will, I, I, I just couldn't wait to get to church to hear the word. And I began to grow by. Again, we're in 1 Peter, the second chapter, verse 3. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If we really taste him, if we really give our taste buds, our senses, whether it be the taste, the smell, the touch, whatever, over to him. If we listen, give him our ears and let it enter into our heart. Oh, then we will taste that he is gracious. The Lord is gracious. Verse 4 said, to whom coming as unto a living stone disallowed indeed of men, in other words, rejected of men, but chosen of God, talking about Jesus and precious, whoo, Jesus, ye also as lively stone, he said, not just Jesus, but ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. See, see, we setting this flesh aside. We're allowing this flesh to die. Not only allowing it, but we're helping it to die by not paying attention to it all the time. Everything the flesh wants don't take top priority. Then he goes on to say, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices, not just any old spiritual sacrifices, but those that are accepted to God by Jesus Christ, acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We got to give him what he wants. It's time out for what my flesh wants. I need to give God what he wants. Goes on in verse 6. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. Talking about Jesus again. Woo. Elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. He shall not be put to shame. You're not going to, I will not be embarrassed because I believe on Jesus. Because you know what? While someone might be over there laughing, I know my help is on the way. Not only is he on the way, he's already here. 
I will not be put ashamed, believing on my Lord and Savior. Verse 7, unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the ones they rejected, the same is made the head cornerstone. And we know Jesus is the head. Verse 8, and the stone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient. So to us, he is a help. He is a very present help. To us, he's a savior and a redeemer. To us, he is our Lord, our King of kings. But to them, children of disobedience, he's an offense. He's a stone of stumbling. Mm, mm, mm. They even stumble at his word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Verse 9. This is really where I wanted to get to. Verse 9 read, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Woo, thank you, Jesus. Oh, my goodness. I am so glad to be out of darkness. I am so glad to be into his marvelous light. You know, when you look at this, even... These names, they parallel with names that God used to call the Israelites back in the, um, let me see, it's in the book of Exodus, the 19th chapter. You can look at this later for sake of time. I'm not going to go over this. I'll just give you where the scripture is. The 19th chapter, verse 5 and 6. That's the book of Exodus, the 19th chapter, verse 5 and 6. And here we see that he is is a contrast to the disobedient and the rebellious nation of Israel. God people today are his chosen and holy nation. Now I'm not suggesting that God through is he's through with Israel. Only God knows what he's doing in that situation. He owes us no explanation. I'm just glad I'm in. I'm glad I'm in. I'm not glad for anyone else's disobedience. I'm glad that I am in. Because I wasn't born of that people, but yet I've been adopted. Thank you, Jesus, for adoption. But we go on and we see that we are a chosen generation which immediately speaks of the grace of God. God did not choose Israel because they were a great people, but because he loved them. God has chosen us purely because of his love and his grace. It has nothing to do with really who we are. And you'll see in the book of John, the 15th chapter and the 16th verse, he clearly says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You see, so many times we say, choose God, choose God. God said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. So we are a chosen generation. We're a holy nation. We have been set apart to belong exclusively to God. Our citizenship is in heaven. Look in the book of Philippians 3 and 20. When you get a chance, I'm not going to go there now, but one of my scripture reference, Philippians, the book of Philippians, 
the third chapter, verse 20. So we obey heaven's law and seek to please heaven's Lord. That's Jesus Christ. That's who we seek to please. Jesus Christ. Because he is heaven's Lord. He is Lord over all. And I tell you, he is the one that we seek to please. I actually do want to read this because I don't want anyone to be confused here. So let me just go ahead and read 3 and 20, okay? Hopefully I won't go over. For our conversation is in heaven. This is the book of Philippians 3 and 20. Third chapter, verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. So we obey him. That's what we are to do. That's what this holy nation should be doing. Are we perfect every time? No. But you know what? He's told us what to do when we're not. When we miss the mark, we know to repent. We know to step back and get it right with God. We are that holy nation. We have been set apart exclusively for God. Mm. I don't ever want to find myself forgetting who I am, but most of all, who I belong to. I don't belong to me anymore. I belong to him. I am a part of his holy nation. Therefore, I've got to make sure I keep myself separated from unholy things. I've got to make sure we look back and we see how Israel joined themselves with unholy things. And it's only therefore an example to show us that we need to be careful. He goes on to say, we are people of God. Now in our unsaved condition, we were not God's people. He did create us, but we weren't his children because we belong to Satan and the world. We lived it up. We did what we wanted to do. Most of us knew nothing, didn't know the word, didn't care to know the word. But now that we have trusted in Christ, we are a part of God's people. We are people of his own special possession. I belong to him. We belong to him because he purchased us with the blood of his very own son. Yes, he did. He purchased us. His son's blood, his only begotten son. And so therefore, I know I belong to him. And, and, and I'm not, I don't want to fight God in that. I, we have to accept the fact that we're no longer our own, but we're his now. When you look in the book of Acts, the 20th chapter, verse 28. It says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Come on. This was not with bullocks. It wasn't with calves. It wasn't with turtle doves, but it was with his own blood. With blood that came from a child that was born of a young lady who was overshadowed by God's spirit. Oh yeah, it's God's blood. And so here we see the church, you know, we tell people salvation is free. Jesus paid a healthy price for salvation. God paid a, oh my God, a healthy price for our salvation. We didn't pay for it, but it wasn't free. And so here we see that God 
is still <coughs> always looking out for our best interests. Mm, mm, mm. But you know, when we read about we're the people of God, we're a chosen generation, we're a holy nation, all these privileges carry with them a big responsibility. And the last part of that scripture talks about revealing the praises of God to a lost world. When you look at this, the verb, it translates to show forth, to advertise. So when you look at it, and that's in the book of 1 Peter, the second chapter, that ninth verse, getting right back to that, don't want to get too far away from that, even as we get ready to close. The end of that said, shew forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So when you translate that verb, it means to advertise. In other words, the same way, you know, when we used to get into our conversations with our friends and you ever in a good conversation with a good friend and you're talking about something that you're both interested in, <coughs> sometimes you'll just talk over each other. But this verb, when it's translated, that show forth, it means to tell out, to advertise. Because we got to understand this world is still in darkness. And there are people in darkness in the world and they don't know of God's excellence. But we are here to show forth the praises, to advertise, to tell out loud about the goodness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He, he is a God of excellency. But we want them to get to know him in their lives. We want to advertise him to them. We want them to know the virtues of God and that the blessing of the Christian life. Our lives should radiate the marvelous light in which to God have graciously called us. It should shine through us, through our lives. It should be radiant, the goodness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The goodness of our God, great Jehovah. And so here, we've got to understand with all these privileges, the privilege of being God's people, the privilege of having an audience with God, being able to go to him and talk to him. There are some responsibilities. we got to pray for others. We got to tell others about the goodness of Jesus. We got to tell them how God wants to change their lives. Same way someone told us. We got to always evangelize. We must advertise. We, might, we must tell out loud the goodness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because we are new creatures in him. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have been made new again. And so tonight, I just want to leave you with that word. I just want you to think on it. Don't want to make things seem complicated because it is not. The word of God is not complicated. We just have to have faith in it. We have to believe it. We have to first believe what we're saying before we can expect anyone else to believe. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you glory, honor, and praise. We thank you for your word, for you are a God of might, and you are a God of truth. Father, we thank you that you have chosen us. We didn't choose you, but you chose us. And you have called us into this marvelous light. You took us out of darkness and placed us into your marvelous now light. And now we are your people. We are the people of God, a holy nation. Mm, mm, mm. 
Thank you, Jesus. And God, we want to open the doors for others to be a part of this holy nation, Father. We pray in the name of Jesus that is someone out there right now that realize what it says in the book of Romans, the 10th chapter, starting at verse 8. But what say you? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made even unto salvation. So if you're out there and you hear me, all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. You don't have to have anyone standing there. When you open your mouth, after believing in your heart on the Lord Jesus Christ, I guarantee you he'll be standing there with you. I guarantee you the Holy Ghost will be there with you. That you can confess, you can believe in your heart and confess with your mouth on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that God raised him from the dead and then thou shalt be saved. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So if you're out there, you can do that on your own. You don't have to have one of us with you. But I do ask, when you give your life to the Lord, follow through. Find you a place that you can be taught. Whether it be here on the line with us, find you a local church. Being on the line is good, but find you a local church. Because the word tell us to do so. I thank God for you. And I just want to say to God be the glory. For he have done so much for us to save our soul. And to move us from the darkness we were in into his marvelous light. And I want to give him thanks for that. So in the name of Jesus, Lord, we all thank you tonight. We give you glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.